Your audience members aren't under the same social pressure to stay attentive to you as they would have if there were people sitting on either side of them in an auditorium or even in a meeting room. So the distractions loom larger. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this bonus episode, we're going to deviate temporarily from story as a speaking tool and dedicate our time to a question on the minds of many technical presenters today. How can I be more effective in a speaking environment where my presence is virtual, but the distractions are real? From your physical environment to fine-tuning your content, you will pick up tools that will serve you well. So just how can you be effective as a virtual presenter when your audience's distractions are very real and present with them and you're not? That's going to be the subject of this program. And I've broken it down into three parts. In part one, we'll look at what you need to pay attention to in your real environment before you ever try to step into the virtual one. In part two, we'll look at some virtual tools that you want to use to engage your audience and make them feel comfortable in this environment you're creating for them. And then in part three, we'll look at how you need to change your content in some subtle ways in order to maximize engagement with that unseen audience. So let's jump right into part one. And for this, I'd like you to make some notes. On your paper, I was going to say number it, but these aren't numbers. Write down the letters A through H. That's right. I'm going to give you the ABCs of your physical environment, but there's eight of them. So we're going to go through the letter H. And the alphabet mnemonic will make them a little more organized and easier for you to remember. So let's jump right in with the letter A. Now this is going to surprise you because I haven't run into this in other guides I've seen to creating your virtual environment, but I've seen enough evidence of how this goes wrong to be an advocate for this letter A. Ready for it? Avoid facing the wall. I can't imagine how many times I have watched other people in a Zoom meeting or some similar environment where they looked like they were in a witness protection program. Why? Because they were facing a wall which put the brightest light in the room above and behind them and put very little light on their face. So, first of all, it creates a lighting problem. Now, that's a solvable problem, but let's talk about the other aspect of what happens when you're facing a wall. I believe that puts a psychological barrier between you and your unseen audience. I'm in a large empty room, otherwise empty room, in my basement that I've set up specifically for this virtual environment. Now, not everyone has the luxury of having unused space in their house. I get that. But chances are you're using a laptop and it's portable, so why not move it somewhere else? You see, when I look out into this room, it's easier for me to visualize you, my audience, than it would be if I were looking at some textured painted wallboard 24 inches from my nose. So, letter A, 
to begin with, avoid facing the wall. That will make some of the other challenges much easier to deal with. That brings us to the letter B. Be aware of your background. So I'm facing away from a wall, which means there's a wall behind me. But you don't see the painted wall. You see some lovely blue fabric that looks like a fancy curtain. In fact, it's just some relatively inexpensive fabric that I bought at a fabric store. I stitched a loop in one side of it and threaded it onto a curtain rod. It makes what a lot of people tell me is a very professional-looking background when I give a webinar or some other form of virtual training. So be aware of your background. It doesn't have to be a custom-made fake curtain, although that's easy enough to do. It can be a bookshelf behind you with your books and knickknacks on it, as long as it doesn't look cluttered. What you don't want is something that detracts from your professional image and distracts from your message. So give some thought to your background, including the lighting on your background. Which brings us to the next point, C, check your lighting. So one of the first things to check is whether the light is balanced between your face and your background. If your background is overlit, your face will look dark and you will look like you don't want to be there. On the other hand, if your background is dark, the light on your face may make you turn into a ghost. Now, I have a setup here that I created specifically for doing just this, and I invested a couple of hundred dollars in some video lights at a camera store. They have umbrella reflectors, and they create a nice, even light across my face and my background. But you don't need to spend $200. Once you've moved so you're no longer facing the wall, it's not that hard to put a light source behind your camera and falling on your face. It can be a table lamp, a desk lamp, a floor lamp, some source of light that is relatively soft. That is, it's, it's got some kind of diffuser or shade on it, so it's not casting harsh shadows on your face. And you want something that, as I said, creates some balance between the foreground and the background. It's not that hard to do. So check your lighting and bonus letter C, let's pay attention to your camera as well. Now, I'm using the webcam that is built into the lid of my laptop. My laptop is only a couple of years old, and that webcam seems to be doing a very nice job for me. It is a 720p high-definition camera. I don't recommend using a built-in camera if it is not high-definition. But also check and see just what is the overall quality of the video coming from your built-in camera if you want to use it. Does it have a nice tonal range? Does it have a good color representation? Of course, there are aftermarket webcams you can buy, and some of them are very popular, and I'm sure some of them will do a very good job. I just don't know that you need to do that unless you've ruled out using your built-in camera, or you're not using a laptop with a built-in camera. You may be using a desktop computer. So check into what you may need for a camera. But I would suggest this. Don't rule out what you've got until you've looked into your lighting very carefully first. Because if you solve your lighting problems, that's likely to solve your video problems. So C, check your lighting and camera. There's your ABCs. We're going to keep going. D, 
don't use your built-in mic and speakers. Now, this is where I'm going to change the advice from using your built-in camera. Your built-in camera may be up to the job. Your built-in microphone most likely is not. And that's not so much a statement about the quality of your microphone as it is about the positioning. The microphone in your laptop is far enough away from your mouth that it's going to pick up a fairly high mix of ambient sound, including your voice bouncing off the walls and ceiling of the room, compared with your own voice. I'm using a microphone that is much closer to my mouth. It also happens to be a studio voiceover grade microphone, and that's overkill for most people giving webinars. But it's a microphone I invested in when I was doing voiceover work a few years ago. What I do recommend is that you have a microphone that is relatively close to your mouth. Yes, there are exceptions. There are such things as shotgun microphones that are used in film and video production. I'm not going there. In general, vocal microphones are designed to be worked relatively close. And you will get better sound when you do that. Because now you're getting just direct sound from your mouth and from the other resonant parts of your body and not so much of the echo coming off of the surfaces in the room. The easiest way to put a microphone close to your mouth is to use a headset. And a headset also solves the problem of not having your speakers turned on. Because I'm sure you've been on a virtual meeting when someone had their speakers on and that sound, with a delay, was getting back into their microphone and creating that horrible echo that we all hate. Very unprofessional. And the way to solve that is simply to make sure that sound cannot come from your computer back into your microphone. Now, I'm not wearing a headset. That's because I have devices called Bajas, which stands for Bone Anchored Hearing Aid, because I have a conductive hearing loss. That is, I have a middle ear problem on both sides. So think of them as hearing aids. And like a number of hearing aids on the market nowadays, these have got streaming technology built in. So I'm actually able to stream from my computer directly into my head. No speakers involved. If you don't have that superpower, get a headset. And I recommend a wired headset over a Bluetooth headset for the simple reason that why run the risk of the battery dying in a Bluetooth headset when you're in the middle of a presentation? You're not going to be so far from your computer that there's really any advantage to not having a cord. So go ahead and use a USB headset. So that's D. Don't use your built-in mic and speakers. E. Elevate your camera. This is one of the simplest things you can do to set yourself apart from most of the people you see using their webcams today. The biggest problem with webcams that are built into the lid of a laptop is most people don't give any thought to the positioning of their laptop when they're showing themselves on video. And so you get the unflattering up-the-nose shot as they're looking down at their laptop and their laptop lid is looking up at them. It's not that hard a problem to solve. I've simply got my laptop elevated about six inches off the top of this table by putting it on a stack of books. 
Yes, of course, you can get dedicated pieces of equipment for doing that, but it's not anything that's, that's difficult to solve. Elevate your laptop and hence your camera so that your camera is at approximately eye level. It doesn't have to be exactly eye level because if you are in the room in an auditorium where I'm speaking to you as, an, as my audience, you would be looking slightly up at me. So we're used to that view. What you don't want is to be seeing the bottom of someone's chin or up into their nose. It's an unflattering view. And why look at someone's ceiling when you've already paid attention to the background? So elevate your camera. Now, if that means getting your laptop six inches up off your work surface, that makes it difficult to type on. Easy solution to that is simply to use an external keyboard. So that's the bonus, bonus, bonus letter E external keyboard. I happen to have a wireless USB keyboard lying around that I repurposed for this application when I raised my laptop off the table. So here we are so far. A, avoid facing the wall. B, be aware of your background. C, check your lighting and camera. D, don't use the built-in mic and speakers. And now E, elevate your camera to approximately eye level or just below. And the bonus letter E is use an external keyboard if necessary. That brings us to the letter F. Find a quiet place. Now, this may be a challenge when you've got kids who aren't in school and you're at home during the workday and that dog is used to being walked more often because you're home. I get it. Not everyone has the benefit of a semi-subterranean room that's block, uh, that I'm in now that's blocking out a lot of ex external sound. But you know what? In the last couple of weeks, I've done one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions using Zoom with people who were joining me from, get this, their closets. Yes, it can be done, and it's a quiet place. In one case, a woman had hung some fabric behind her to block the view of her clothes. In the other case, the gentleman was using a virtual background. And when he turned off the virtual background, I could see the shelves full of his wife's shoes. So it was a fairly large closet in that case. By the way, I'm not a fan of virtual backgrounds. Chalk it up to 25 years in broadcast engineering. I know what a good chroma key effect, that's the formal name for the green screen, is supposed to look like. And frankly, those virtual backgrounds aren't there yet. They tend to make the edge of your head come and go, particularly if there's a, a highlight, a reflection from, from one of your lights on your head or on your hair. So I'd much prefer that you come up with a real background that is not distracting. Should have mentioned that under the B, but I forgot. Doesn't have to be perfect, just has to be good, right? So that's F, find a quiet place. Now G, and this one may require a little bit of an investment, but I think you'll find it very worthwhile. Get a second monitor. I'm a big advocate for having a second monitor so you've got more screen real estate especially if you're doing a webinar where you're going to be sharing windows from your screen. It's hard to keep track of everything, particularly when you factor in the question and answer box or the chat box or the list of participants or whatever other tools you're using. It's hard to do that on one screen when you're in screen sharing mode. So I believe you'll find that a reasonable investment in an external monitor 
will make your life a lot easier and your results better. I managed to find one online for a sale price. It was well under $100, although $100 is not a bad amount to budget for something like that. So I encourage you to get a second monitor. And that brings us to the letter H. Very important. Have a backup plan. Because sooner or later, your computer or your internet or something will fail on you when you're in the middle of a webinar. I was close to going live with something just a couple of weeks ago and realized that my internet provider had an outage throughout my neighborhood. Fortunately, I was able to create a hotspot on my phone and get right back online and keep going. So have some type of plan B in mind for what's going to happen if your internet goes away or you have some other technology problem. Don't be caught in the embarrassing condition of never having thought about it because sooner or later it will happen. So there you go. The ABCs plus a few more. Avoid facing the wall. Be aware of your background. Check your lighting and camera. Don't use the built-in mic and speakers. Elevate your camera. Find a quiet place. Get a second monitor if possible and have a backup plan. Those are the considerations you must address in your physical environment before you venture forth into the virtual world. We'll be right back with part two, looking at some virtual tools you might want to employ. Welcome back for part two of this special program on how to connect with your unseen audience as a virtual presenter. In part one, we looked at considerations of your physical environment. In part two, we're going to look at your virtual environment. And we're going to look at this in three parts as well. Your platform, the environment in which your audience finds themselves and your responsibility for that environment, and finally, how to use your environment for interactivity. First of all, let's talk about your platform. Now, I am platform agnostic. I will simply state that I have probably spent more time on Zoom than any other platform, but I have been trained and certified in using other platforms as well, such as Adobe Connect, for example. All of these platforms have different mixes of features and advanced features, and what I would encourage you to do is this. If there is a platform that you are already conversant in, try to use that whenever possible and get more conversant in it by going to that platform's own website and watching some of the training videos because there will be tutorial videos that are provided by all of these different platform vendors. In particular, if you have not yet become fluent in the language of some of the advanced features like polling or breakout rooms. You need to do that. And here's a little tip for you. If you don't already have your own account, that is, if you are using a corporate account or a client's account, get your own account so that you can log in at your convenience and practice whenever you want to. Most of these vendors will have a free level of membership. Or if not that, 
at least a limited time free offer of a 14-day trial. I was on a, a platform that was chosen for me by a client recently, and since that was not a client, that was a, a rather a platform I had not used in a while. I went to that website and signed up for a 14-day free trial so that I could spend as much time as I wanted in the couple of weeks leading up to that event familiarizing myself. So there's a tip for you. Get your own account. Don't be dependent on someone else's. And take advantage of the tutorial videos from the vendor to learn as much about your chosen platform or your client's chosen platform as you're going to need in order to be comfortable with it. Now, speaking of being comfortable, this brings us to point two, which is making your audience comfortable. You see, you may not have realized it, but it is also your responsibility to make your audience comfortable in the environment that you're going to be presenting in. Think about the analogy to a physical environment. If I show up at a place where you're giving a talk... Maybe it's a meeting room, an auditorium, perhaps a a ballroom in a hotel or convention center. There are architectural cues built in to help me know where to go and what to expect next. We all know what a, a box office looks like, so that might be a focal point in the real world. There would be a lobby, perhaps, and when you enter the lobby, you look around and opposite you, you see perhaps a large set of double doors, so you have a pretty good idea where you're going to go next. And those doors, when you see them, are either open, inviting you to pass through, or they're closed. Now, have you ever been in a situation where the cues were inconsistent and you were confused? Perhaps those double doors were closed, so you assumed it wasn't time for you to go in yet. But then you saw someone else coming out, and they let the door close behind them. So you're wondering, what am I supposed to do? You probably never thought about the fact that you had already taken in cues from your physical environment to tell you what to do next. Well, you need to think about that for the virtue, for the benefit rather, of your audience. When they enter your virtual environment, what will they find? Is it silent? Is there just a title slide? If there's no sound and nothing moving, how do they know that their system is working and not frozen? So think about these things. It's a good idea to think about both the visual and the aural experience that your audience members will have when they reach your environment. So visually, here's a couple of choices you can make. One would be to have a series of rotating pre-show slides with some information, perhaps some goals of the presentation, along with the start time, perhaps a little biographical information about you, the presenter, so that they know they're in the right place and they know how long it will be before it's going to start. Or the other thing that I've done quite often is just to use a countdown timer. I have an animated countdown timer that is moving because it's animated, so people know right away that it's going and it's in real time and it shows them how long it'll be before we start. And often I will play music with that. Here's where you have to be careful. If you're used to using music in a meeting room 
and you're going to use that in a webinar, now you've got a little problem, potentially, and I need to tread carefully here because I'm not qualified to give you legal advice, all right? So consult with someone who is. But the concern could be that you're now, in effect, broadcasting that music without uh, the, the legal right to the copyright on that music. So... If you want to use music, it might be a good idea either to get some advice from someone who is qualified to give it about licensing copyrighted music, or you can go to some websites where you can purchase royalty-free music and play that instead as your lead, uh, in the lead-up time to the start of your event. So if you have something happening both visually and orally as people enter your room, they'll be more comfortable in knowing that they are in the right place and that they're waiting patiently an appropriate amount of time until you begin. The other thing you can do, of course, is simply be present and greet people as they come into the room. Now, this may not be practical with a very large audience, but up to a certain size, it may be an option that you could pursue, and that will give people that feeling of having connected with you before you even start your event. So there's some things to think about in terms of welcoming your audience into this virtual environment that you and your platform have created for them. And point three that I want to make about your virtual tools is to give some thought ahead of time to how you're going to have your audience interact with you. If you're going to use polling, for example, which is built into a number of these platforms, you'll need to have that set up ahead of time. You can't do that on the fly. There are tools besides the ones built into your platform that you might want to use. I've had some success with one called Mentimeter, and what I liked about it was that I had no problem scaling it up to an audience of over 300 people and asking them some polling questions and being able to display the range of their responses across a five-point scale in real time, which I did both at the beginning and at the end of my webinar in order to see how their information, uh, their understanding of this topic had changed over the time of the webinar. So there are some good tools out there. Research those. Uh, you can look at, you can go to mentimeter.com for the one I used. And you also want to be very familiar with the polling tools that are built into your platform. And of course, always let people know when and how you are taking their questions. Is there a Q&A box? Is there a chat box? Is there someone online with you who is going to be looking at those questions as they come in, or is that going to be your responsibility? So these are all questions to be asking yourself. Do you need a, an associate, a technical producer, it's sometimes called, to be moderating the questions for you, or do you expect you can handle that yourself? And that may also be dependent on the size of your audience. So give careful thought to how you're going to interact with your audience and give your audience very clear instructions about how you're going to do that. So these are some ways that you can make your audience comfortable in the virtual environment that you are creating for them. That's part two. Come back for part three, and we'll talk about how to modify your content in order to maximize engagement. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part three of this special program on how to be 
more successful as a presenter when you're virtual and your audience's distractions are real. This comes down to the basic problem that, as a virtual presenter, strangely enough, you are both dulled and amplified. You're dulled in the sense that your energy isn't present in the room with the people you are expecting to give you their attention in return for information and engagement. And you're amplified in the sense that the the flaws and foibles that go along with being a presenter are in some cases made more evident when people can scrutinize you on video. I'm sure you've spotted flaws in things that I've said in this program and the way that I've said them, and now they're going to live forever. So in that sense, they are amplified. But in the sense that I can't read your expression and read your energy and adjust accordingly, in that sense, my presence to you is dulled compared to what it would be if we were in the same room together. So how do we compensate for that in terms of changes to content and even delivery? Well, the first thing you have to know about being a successful virtual presenter is going to be bad news for some people, and that is you're not going to be successful as a virtual presenter if you don't already have the tools and skills and mindset to be successful in person on the platform. And that's the topic of really all the other episodes in this program. We're going to be looking at such techniques as monitoring the I to you ratio, whether you're using enough second person, for example, to truly engage your audience. We'll be looking in a lot of detail at stories and the importance of using stories to get the oxytocin flowing in your listeners' brains so that they will feel empathy toward you, the speaker. All of that will come in additional episodes. What we're going to focus on right now is what you need to do differently in a virtual presentation. And that comes down to a very interesting point that I learned recently, and I was skeptical when I first heard this, but I've given enough webinars lately to understand the importance of it. You see, as a speaker, I'm very big on using stories. I like to use stories in my presentations, even information-rich presentations. I like to open with a story, close with an even stronger story, and use stories to illustrate my points. The thing is, sometimes, even as concisely as I can tell a story, it's possible for an audience member's attention to wander, particularly if they're at home and their attention is wandering to another screen with email on it or to their phone or to any number of things that would not be in the same room if they were physically in my audience. Plus, the other thing that's going on is that your audience members aren't under the same social pressure to stay attentive to you as they would have if there were people sitting on either side of them in an auditorium or even in a meeting room. So the distractions loom larger. And that means that they may not have the attention span that it takes to take in your stories. So how do you keep people engaged in a virtual setting? Here's the difference. Stories are great. You still want to use stories, especially stories that create a powerful mental image in your listeners' minds, because that's going to make your information more memorable to them. But what you 
particularly want to do is make sure that you return often to the problem statement so that it's clear that you that there is a problem to which your information is the solution. The problem statement in this case, as I've already said, is that in the virtual world, you are both dulled and amplified. And that's layered on top of the basic problem that every information presenter has, which is that your information goes nowhere if you don't serve the needs of your audience. And if your audience is at home or in an office or any place other than in a room with you, that need becomes much more immediate because the distractions could be much more immediate. So you must return to the problem statement often and not place as much weight on your stories. What problem are you there to solve? Make that very clear at the beginning. Return to it often so that it's clear that each component of what you're telling them relates back to that problem statement. The problem we have here is that as a virtual presenter, you are both dulled and, in an unfortunate sense, amplified. So we've looked at how you adjust your or address the needs in your physical environment to make sure that you are being seen and heard clearly so that you don't lose that opportunity for engagement before you even start. We've looked at what you need to do in your virtual environment in order to use your platform well and make sure that your audience is comfortable in the virtual environment that you've created for them. And now we've looked at how you tweak your content. And the key thing to remember there is return often to your problem statement and the components of the solution that you're offering in response to that problem. The problem we've got here is that I don't know how distracted you or any other audience may, member may be by things that are outside my environment and therefore completely outside my control. So there you have it. Three areas to consider as you're translating your information to a virtual environment. Eight points in your physical environment, three in your virtual environment, and primarily one point in your content, which is to focus more on the problem statement and less on your stories. I believe that if you will use this information along with the skills that you have as a presenter in person, you can be effective as a virtual presenter. Hence the need for this program because so many of us are moving into virtual presentations in a big way. I'm David Ote. I'm glad that you have been attending to this program. I look forward to hearing from you because I always enjoy hearing from my listeners with questions or suggestions for future content for the power of story and science. If you'd like to get in touch with me, there's a very simple website address you can go to. It's storyandscience.com. Storyandscience.com. And that will take you to my website where there are a variety of ways for you to get in touch with me. Thank you for being here. And I hope that you will listen and enjoy future episodes of The Power of Story and Science. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. 
This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.